Welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative at YouWantAPieceOfMeOnline.com. This is John Van Bladel coming back with yet another podcast, which is going to be coming out every other week. I'm chuckling a little bit to myself because enunciation does not seem to be my thing today. <laughs> so this week's podcast is called Smoke on the Water and Everywhere Else. Now I will be inviting the bell of mindfulness um, occasionally to slow me down a bit and allow what I've said to sink in. So when I invite the bell, what I ask you to do is we'll breathe together three times in and out at a regular rate, not hyperventilating because we're not in a rush to go anywhere. And then we will move on with the podcast. So I'm going to invite the bell now and we'll breathe together. Hey, and by the way, if you hear some background noise today, I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of truck traffic out there today, and despite having the windows closed, you can kind of hear them through it. Go figure. Um, so for several days here in the Northeast, we had some hazy weather last week, and at first I did not know what to make of it. I saw the haze. I thought I smelled a hint of smoke. And this was a familiar experience, because I've had this experience before when we had some wildfires in the south, but after a little research, I discovered it was from wildfires in Quebec. And it was an eerie experience. The haze, the smell, brilliant sunrises and sunsets, a blood-red moon. Now, I'm several hundred miles south of these fires, and the smoke actually made it all the way down to Carolina. The Carolinas. And this was unsettling, and it brought to mind the words of Greta Thunberg. You lied to us. You gave us false hope. You told us that the future was something to look forward to, and that the saddest thing is that most children are not even aware of the fate that awaits us. We will not understand it until it's too late, and yet we are the lucky ones. Those who will be affected the hardest are already suffering the consequences. But their voices are not heard. Is my microphone on? Can you hear me? She's also went on to say, I want you to act as if the house is on fire. Because it is. That is prophetic. Well, the house, our house, that we all share, is on fire in many places. And that includes not only the actual fires, but so many of the other issues, the environmental issues that are affecting us. Now here in upstate New York, I look out the window and the grass is really brown because we're going through a dry period. Um, and it does not take much to imagine what would happen if one was ignited. And the droughts that we have here in the Northeast are nowhere as near uh, what they suffer in some parts of the world. Well, wildfires have become so commonplace that we rarely notice them, unless we're actively experiencing them or we happen across them on the news of the day, um, on whatever news channel we may be watching. But they rarely seem to make the news anything other than an afterthought. We're becoming desensitized to them, almost like it's the norm. And this is one of the strengths and the flaws of humanity. We're very adaptable. But there are some things we shouldn't adapt to or accept. Um, this should be alarming, the fires, amongst the other things that are going on, and should inspire collective action. 
Now, I've been to places that have been decimated by fire. In 2014, I went to a retreat at the Shambhala Center in the Rockies in Colorado, and they had just missed being burned out in 2012. Some said it was their prayers that stopped the fires. That's not likely. But what else can one do when faced with massive wildfires? Uh, reflecting on some of the burned out areas I passed on the way to the center, I thought, gee, what would it feel like to see and smell the smoke? To see a wall of fire in the distance as it approached? To wonder how I would escape the flames in such an isolated area? To feel the heat approaching me? To feel the fear and hopelessness of the situation? To watch animals fleeing for their lives? To hope for rain? or a change in the direction of the wind. At best, my possessions and the place I loved would be gone. At worst, I would perish, most likely painfully. Now, this is putting yourself in the shoes of some other people, or invoking some empathy. Now, more recently, the 2020 Cameron Peak fire cost the retreat center some buildings, but not the great stupa and the artifacts inside, and it's one of the few stupas in the world, actually. So why the wildfires? Well, the bark beetle, which kills trees. Now it's native to Colorado, but as our climate becomes hotter and drier, the populations of bark beetles increase, um, and that leads to more dead trees, which make very good kindling. And we don't have the natural fire breaks then that we would, so welcome to the world of global warming and climate change that is affecting all of us. Now, forest maintenance is being done, steps taken to maintain the forest so the fires don't spread, but we're only treating symptoms of the problem. Um, We're taking over because nature has been disrupted. Now the fires fill me with a great deal of sadness. Uh, Much like Greta, I wonder what will the future be like for us, uh, the generations to come? What will it be like for all the other creatures? that we, well, share, maybe not, that we dominate the planet uh, with. Uh, And this requires, again, that we feel into this experience and maybe develop some compassion. It is hard to see, really, is it that hard to see that the fate that befalls others could be our fate? That their suffering is our suffering? That our fate is intertwined? Now, we resist being put in touch with the compassion with compassion for any number of reasons. The primary one being the discomfort engendered when experiencing another's suffering. Uh, we don't want to think it could happen to us, or worse, that we could be partly responsible for what happens to others. When I ask myself, am I really contributing to the dislocation of the two billion people who, we, who will have to be environmental refugees, by the turn of the century due to rising sea levels caused by global warming? I mean, why do I have to think about this? I'm just trying to live my life. Uh, But the message the Earth is sending us in response to our exploitation of it cannot be denied for much longer. Global warming and climate change are going to return the havoc we've wrecked upon the Earth in catastrophic fashion. Now, it's already begun. As I mentioned, the wildfire fires, global shortages of potable water, displacement of so many people from their homes and a way of life. It is a surreal nightmare. Um, Have you ever tried um, sitting on the ocean and trying to build a sandcastle against an incoming tide? Well, call this ecological karma.
So I'm sorry if I sound a bit grim, but the situation is bad. Um, and avoiding it is not going to help. So what we have to do is be mindful of the situation and get engaged in a way that will preserve our planet. We have to understand that the loss of someone else's home is the loss of our own home. That the animals that perish in these fires are the pets that we enjoy each day, you know, in our own lives. That each species that goes extinct due to a loss of habitat is a loss for all of us. We have to discover what means something to us. What do we value? What do we want to preserve? What will inspire us to make the necessary changes? And how can we go about this? Now, in 2013, I developed an eco-psychology class, which is part of my contribution to a sustainable planet. And a significant part of this class is to consider something called eco-spirituality. Now, we talk about the concept of inter interdependence and the sacredness of nature in the class, and this is nothing new. It's been practiced by indigenous peoples throughout world history. But we have lost our connection to the natural world. When in reality, we're not separate from it. Our lives are intricately bound to everything else that's out there. Uh, and some of, this would, some of us would call this the web of life. So connecting with that is crucial to affecting the type of change that we're going to need to turn things around here. Now, I think of people like Joseph Campbell. I like mythology, and I think that it really talks about the struggles that we face as human beings over the millennia. Um, if you ever watch Planet Earth, that's a really cool show that'll connect you. Please watch that. You just see the vast diversity of miracles of what's out there. Uh, some of Carl Jung's work, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, The World We Have, he wrote a fantastic book about that, his understanding of interbeing or interdependence. And then there's so many others, Jane Goodall, Gary Mattel, Vandana Shiva, who get it. And all of these people have what I call heart and a connection to something deeper and greater than themselves. Now, this connection between religion and spirituality, um, they overlap. I mean, you don't have to be religious to have spirituality, but that sense of connection to something greater than yourself uh, has been reflected in a few religions, and some have begun to understood the have begun to understand the need to live in harmony with the earth rather than to try and dominate it. By the way, this pairs nicely with uh, Marshall Rosenberg and the language of domination that we've developed. Now, some years ago, when I was trying to figure out the universe, which I'm still trying to do, I came across the Baha'i, and they have a beautiful set of ethics. Uh, they believe in the unity of all religions and of humanity also being unified, uh, and they're devote, they devote themselves to eliminating racial, class, and religious prejudices. Again, with that focus on human or unity and harmony. And I'm impressed by them because they're an engaged religion. They do a bit more than talk. They actually try to live it. And I don't get the impression they're trying to coerce people into following their belief system. But hey, maybe they are. I just haven't seen it. And here is an amazingly insightful statement. Developed in the 1880s, by the way, on the environment. Unrestrained exploitation of natural resources is a symptom of the overall sickness of the human spirit. Economic development must be rooted in an approach that fosters spiritual balance and harmony within the individual, between individuals, and with the environment as a whole. Material development must serve not only the body, but the mind and spirit as well. Wow! 
that's it. That is actually what motivated me to put together the eco-psychology class. Um, that is probably one of the best statements I have ever heard that really pulls this all together. So I'm going to take a break now because I'm very excited. So excited it affected my bell ringing. It's okay to be excited. In fact, we need to get a little bit more excited sometimes. Um, so the new Pope, Pope Francis, gets us too. Uh, now, without getting into some of the flaws that the church has there, did you know the Vatican went solar in 2008? you got to check this out. You can find it online. The Wall Street Journal carried an article in 2019 stating, Pope Francis, who has made the environment a signature cause of his pontificate, said, I hope I said that word right, said he was strongly considering adding a category of ecological sin to the Catholic Church's compendium of teachers. I'm not a big fan of sin, but um, that's a really interesting uh, perspective. Uh, Hey, does this mean God is on our side in this matter? Well, make the claim. If you're wrong, it's no more sin than sitting around doing nothing, or worse, contributing to environmental decline. Uh, Consider yourself an eco-spiritual, spiritualist-based Good Samaritan. Now, if I'm a producer of solar panels, I'm putting a Jesus fish on my on my uh, vehicle. I'll do anything to try and get people to become more sustainable. Now, well, not anything. But um, you don't know a little bit of my history. I grew up in a small electrical business, and uh, I was really interested in solar. And when Jimmy Carter came in uh, as president, he put solar panels on the White House. When Reagan came in, he took them off. Uh, you know, fossil fuels had a whole lot of influence. But it's a really interesting history of how far back this goes, attempting to move in the direction of solar. And to have a spiritual presence in this from religious leaders, <clears throat> at least religious leaders to some, I think is a huge um, plus in our direction. So use it to your benefit. Um, there's also the Wiccans who believe that spiritual insight is achieved through living in harmony with the earth. This is a quote from a book, Source Book of the World's Religions, by Joel Beversluis, I believe. The presence of the divine is felt in the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, and all the animals, plants, and resources that compose our sacred planet and sustain us. Now, the earth is the embodiment of the divine, is to, is to be treated as such and not exploited. This is another really exciting statement to hear. So this fundamental respect for the earth is shared by many other indigenous religions, including Native Americans. You know, we have denigrated the Aborigines for being primitives. Take a look at the National Geographic race issue for this one and how they uh, perpetuated uh, racist stereotypes. But my question is, who really are the primitives? Nature-based religions have not inspired people to world conquest or economic wealth for the few at the expense of the majority. They did not create nuclear weapons or bring the earth to the brink of environmental collapse. From this perspective, the Aborigines are more advanced than we perceive them to be. In fact, their ability to predict long-range weather patterns are being studied studied even in Galapagos and uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, And it is our greed, our arrogance, and our short-sightedness that has caused global warming that is fanning those flames. Now, Australia is projected to be at the forefront of damage caused by climate change driven by human activity. 
So, how can we change quickly to limit the damage? Awareness and mindfulness are going to help. we got to be present with this, despite how painful it might be. We can then take action. I have a couple of sources I want to recommend for you. The Better World Handbook, Small Changes That Make a Big Difference, by Ellis Jones, Ross Hamfler, and Brett Johnson. Last time I looked, you can find that free online, but it is an affordable book. Now, here's another one, thebetterworldshopper.org. Um... I just checked that this morning, and I couldn't get to their site for some reason, but it was a fantastic site. Uh, it said site not available, which is really distressing. Uh, maybe they finally got sued for telling the truth. Um, they do have a paperback edition for $15 and a PDF for $10. Now, in their Better World Handbook, or the Better World Shopping Guide, 7th edition, Every Dollar Makes a Difference, they actually rate companies on a... Uh, environmental sustainability and climate change, human rights, community involvement, animal protection, and social justice, which is interesting. To say the least, they they um, rated about 2,000 plus companies, and you can actually go there and take a look at how your company is rated uh, when you shop. And this way you can shop with a conscience and shop with a, <clears throat> even more important than a conference, shop with your dollars um, to help preserve our environment, because if there's one thing that corporations are going to listen to, it is dollars. When dollars start going somewhere else, they change. Hence Monsanto, who um, rebranded after being sold to Bear. Not so sure they changed that much. Now, one more thing. Well, when I say one more thing, it usually means several more things. But anyway, one more thing. We seek to preserve what we care about. Now, most of you have seen the turtle video that led to a worldwide movement to ban plastic straws. Now, plastic straws are really not the most important thing out there, but there is a lesson here. You could not watch that video of that straw being pulled excruciatingly out of the turtle's nose without feeling empathy. And that is what motivated us to action. And... In essence, we put ourselves inside the turtle shell. With us, it would be shoes. Uh, but that is, that's a lesson to be learned. I, we got to find a way to wake people up and get them to care. And as I've said before, uh, the way you treat your pet is much different than you would treat an animal that you don't know because you've developed that connection. So how do we develop that connection with our environment and all the creatures and all the natural resources that are in it are really the question. Now, I have a quote here from a Wangari Matal. Um, her book Unbowed is uh, an inspirational one. That's one of the ones I would take a look at and read. And here it is. I don't know why I care so much. I just have something inside of me that tells me that there is a problem and I've got to do something about it. I think that is what I would call the God in me. All of us have a God in us, and that God is the spirit that unites all life, everything that is on this planet. I must be this voice that is telling me to do something, and I am sure that it's the same voice that is speaking to everybody on the planet, at least everybody who seems to be concerned about the fate of the world, the fate of this planet. And I think that gets it. So you don't have to be religious to um, care about the environment. You don't have to religious to affect change you can just go for a walk do a bit of ecotherapy um, and 
enjoy the wonder of the world around you. So till next time, practice getting connected with the earth, do a bit of ecotherapy or green care for yourself and the planet, and make a commitment to preserving our life support systems. Small changes add up, and change begins with each one of us.